as we are working our way through uh, the series, I want to remind you, if you have not picked up one of the prayer journals, there are still some, I think I saw a couple out there on the information desk, uh, but there are still some up here. And uh, you might say, you know, well, Pastor, it started May 1st. It's May 15th. I've missed two weeks worth. That's okay. Just wherever you find yourself, you can start reading there. It's okay. Uh, but I want to encourage you uh, to, to use it as a daily devotional as we move towards Pentecost. And so today, um, we're going to be looking at Proverbs. And I realized as I was working on this sermon, I don't know if I have ever preached a sermon out of Proverbs. Uh, it's just not one of those books that I look to for, for sermon material. Uh, but this is a, it's an incredible passage. So we're going to be in chapter 3. If you want to go ahead and turn there, uh, we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 1, and we'll read down through verse 12. But as I was, uh, last week we were in Nashville and um, we were there for Trevecca's graduation. My, my niece graduated high school and so that was on Saturday night. We were able to be a part of that. And uh, one of the things I kind of do sometimes is I'll, I listen to a lot of books, listen to a different podcast, and sometimes I just search uh, some of my favorite preachers to see if they've released anything new or if somebody's released an episode with them on a podcast. And so one of my favorite preachers is a, she's an Episcopalian priest. Her name's Barbara Brown Taylor. I've told stories from her uh, before, but I searched her name and I came, came up with a podcast that they had done. And she'd actually done a seminar back in 2019 and they just released it on this podcast. And in it, she was talking about wilderness. And it got me thinking with this passage on, on Proverbs and it started really kind of resonating with me of what she was saying. But she told a story at the beginning of the seminar that I just thought like, oh my goodness, that's a perfect story. But she told a story about being, it was a, she said it was an academic setting. She's, uh, she, was, she was in a classroom. There's a lot of pastors there. They're doing some training. They're having these conversations. And they were talking about the importance of wilderness. And one of the men who was a youth pastor said, I just took my teens recently on a whitewater rafting trip in the wilderness. And he said, I'm amazed at what the wilderness does to, to students because they're out there and they begin to rely on one another. And the conversations that that sparked was just so incredible. And he kept using the term wilderness. And then one of the men listening said, well, let, let me ask you a question. Were the students ever in any real danger? And he said, no, I, I wouldn't let my students be in real danger. And then the man said, if they weren't in real danger then they weren't in the wilderness. Because the real wilderness, there has to be something that will kill you. And she used that, that statement, and if, if we think about it, it kind of makes us uncomfortable. You can, uh, don't do it right now, but you can Google or look up on YouTube. If you look up, uh, there's all these videos on YouTube of like the things they don't want to tell you about our national parks. So you can look up whether it's the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or Yellowstone's one of the best ones. But you can look these up because there's all of these people, they have all these videos about people that have died in national parks. And it's like they're trying to hide the secret. They all know it happens. And Yellowstone has some of the worst. There was actually the year we were there, there was a man uh, in 2016, there was a man who he and his sister decided, hey, we're gonna go and find one of these hot springs and we're gonna go swimming in a hot spring. He fell into water that was 456 degrees. You don't survive that. You don't survive it for seconds, actually. The wilderness is dangerous. And we go to our Bibles and we begin to see this metaphor and how this metaphor is used throughout our Bibles to talk about wilderness. 
We know that at the beginning of Jesus's ministry in the, the three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, what happens at Jesus's beginning of his ministry? Same thing, all three gospels. He's baptized, comes out of the, in the way it works in my mind, there might've been a little bit of a gap here, but in my mind, he's baptized, comes out of the water, and it says the Holy Spirit did what? Led him into the wilderness. And there he was for 40 days and fasted. And that's where we get the story of the temptations of Christ. When the Israelites left, uh, it left Egypt and they were on their way, or the Hebrew people left Egypt on their way to Israel. We have this incident with Moses striking the rock and them complaining and complaining and complaining. But they spent 40 years wandering where? In the wilderness. Remember Elijah, when Elijah, he calls down fire from heaven, has this incredible, uh, this incredible moment where he is defeating, or really kind of defeating the, their gods and defeating Baal, and he runs, and where does he go? The wilderness. And so this metaphor kind of works through our Bibles, and we know that the wilderness is an important piece of this. And the wilderness kind of tells us a little bit about our lives, about how we walk through this world, but the wilderness makes us uncomfortable. They weren't in the real wilderness. In the real wilderness, there has to be something that will kill you. There has to be something that will kill you. It's in the wilderness, this dangerous wilderness, that moves our faith into deeper transformation. It's going through those difficult times because in the wilderness, there are things sometimes that need to die. There are things that need to die when we are in the wilderness. In the wilderness, there is sometimes there is the death of our identity. Sometimes we have to deal with the death of having everything figured out. Sometimes we have to deal with the death of life as we have always known it. In the wilderness, there is something that has to die. Galatians 2.20 is one of my favorite verses and a verse that y'all uh, hopefully probably know because I quote it somewhat regularly. But Galatians 2.20, you'll see it up there on the screen, says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's no longer I who live. The wilderness helps us understand. The wilderness reminds us that there are things that need to die. And in the Christian life, one of those things that needs to die is me. My friend Brandon, he used to always uh, try to, I've probably told you all this story before. He likes to come up with things that kind of shock people. So he has all these titles for things that shock people. And one of them that he, I remember him using one time, he taught a Sunday school lesson for me when I was a college pastor. And the title of his lesson was, God is trying to kill you. Because my old self, the values, the life, the allegiances of my old self have been crucified with Christ. Now it's no longer I who live, but who? Christ. Christ who lives in me, Christ who has reoriented what my life finds important, Christ who has reoriented what really matters in my life. My values have changed, my allegiances have changed. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, so I live in this earthly body trusting, by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I would argue, as most 
theologians would argue, it's hard to die unless you're in the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, we begin to have to find what can we rely on that doesn't always make sense. What can we rely on? And we're left like Jesus was in those 40 days, realizing that it's only his father who provides. Now, another piece of this, talking about the wilderness. I don't know about y'all. I told Heather this week, I, I've been dealing with, and I don't know if there's an official term for it. This is what I call it. I've been dealing with uh, what I would call news fatigue. Anybody else? Anybody else? Because I don't know if y'all noticed, but if you turn on the news, which I don't watch a whole lot of news. We don't watch like cable news or anything. Usually my news intake is a few minutes on a, on a morning watching, we usually watch NBC. So watching NBC, we watch a few minutes of local, and then we watch about the first 15 minutes of the Today Show, and then about 15 minutes or so of the nightly news uh, at 5.30. And that's about, so I, I consume maybe 45 minutes of news a day. So it's not like it's, it's this big thing, but, but it's the same thing. I don't know if y'all have watched. If you turn on the news, I can tell you just tonight, 5.30, turn it on. This is what's gonna happen. We're gonna talk about Ukraine. We're gonna talk about inflation. I don't know if y'all have heard about that. Inflation. We're going to talk about um, the. Uh, we're talking about gun violence. Uh, I wrote that in my notes before yesterday's gun violence. Uh, we're going to talk about people that aren't getting punished for doing bad things. And if that's not enough, right now, I don't know if y'all noticed this. When the news goes to commercials, it's the same commercial. It's all election commercials. I'm ready. I thought the primary was Tuesday, and I'm like, I'm so excited. Tuesday, it's going to be over. We're not going to hear all these. And we were driving to Colvin yesterday, and there's a billboard that says the primary's on the 24th. That means we get a whole other week of these commercials. I thought Tuesday they were going to be over. It's exhausting. It's disorienting. It's disheartening. And it wears us down. It wears me down. And that's the fatigue that I'm dealing with. There might be other things that, that deal, that y'all are dealing with when it comes to fatigue. That's the one that I continue to go back. That's my wilderness that I keep going back and thinking through all of this stuff, all of these things that I can't fix, that you can't fix. And I keep asking the question of what do I do with all of these things? And the thing that I keep coming back to is, is that I must be reminded of my true identity. My identity is not on the news. My identity does not deal with inflation. My identity does not, thank goodness, does not deal with an election commercial. I have to be reminded of what my true identity is. Now for me, my true identity, I believe goes back to what Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians. I know we're, going, we're getting to Proverbs, trust me, we're gonna get there. Second Corinthians, I wanna just kind of go through. This is, for me, I think this tells us so much about who we are and this is the identity that I continue to go back to. Second Corinthians, chapter five, verse 14 says, either way, Christ's love controls us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, here it is. This is, this is my identity. And, sorry, 
He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, that's, that's me, hopefully most of you would raise your hand too, that's me, those who have received his new life no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that every, anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. It's what we read in Galatians, just different language. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That new life has begun. And all of this, all of this, where does it come from? It's a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task. He's given us a job. He's given us a vocation of reconciling people to himself. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors, God making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be right with God through Christ. That is our identity. If we call ourselves Christian, it's more than just a title. It's more than just something me saying, I believe in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's important, but it's something that changes our lives. Matter of fact, in the language of Paul, it kills us so that we might have new life in Christ. So that all of these things change. And in the midst of the wilderness, sometimes we get disoriented and we don't know where to go. When we were uh, out at Joshua Tree back in 2016, one of the things we had been told to do uh, that we, we fortunately did this was we bought some little walkie-talkies and we were told, uh, this specifically about Joshua Tree, that when you're there, make sure everybody with you has a walkie-talkie. And so we got there one afternoon, we laid out a blanket and uh, to make sure there were no critters around because if you know my wife, she doesn't deal with critters. And so we, had, we were up on a rock, we had a blanket, we were gonna lay there and wait till it got dark and wait till we saw the stars. And so I set up a camera uh, to do like, you know, sunset stuff and the kids are walking around. And so Jake just, you know, Jake was a fourth grade boy. He just took off. And so it starts getting dark and Heather's sitting up on this rock and I'm over with my camera and Heather gets on the walkie talkie and she said, Jake, getting dark it's time to come back and she could see Jake and Jake turned listened to his mother and went the wrong way he wasn't being bad he thought he was going the right way and Heather on the walkie-talkie thankfully somebody told us to take him radios Jake you just went the opposite way <laughs> of where we are turn around because the desert was disorienting the wilderness is disorienting. And this morning, as we walk through this series to Pentecost, what I want you to hear this morning is, if you feel like you are in the wilderness, 
you're not alone. If you feel disoriented, you're not alone. But the passage in Proverbs, I believe, is a passage of God getting on that radio saying, hey, it's, it's, it's time to turn around. And sometimes when we think we turned around, we went the wrong direction and it's God saying to us, no, 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 no. You're going the wrong way. And the writer of Proverbs speaks into us, speaks to us in the wilderness. And so this morning, if you are someone that says, I feel, I feel your pain. I feel disoriented, whether it's the news, whether it's life, whether it's, it's trauma, whatever it is, I feel lost, I feel disoriented. I will tell you, this is for you. So let's look at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter three, verse one. My child, never forget the things I've taught you. Store my commands in your heart. If you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. Never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people and you will earn a good reputation. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Seems like the writer of Proverbs knew us. Instead, Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part of everything you produce, then he will fill your barns with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. My child, don't reject the Lord's discipline and don't be upset when he corrects you for the Lord corrects those he loves. Just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. I know most of us, anybody ever heard of uh, the Ten Commandments? Okay, everybody, everybody's heard of the Ten Who knows the Eleventh Commandment? Anybody? Keep all the above. Keep all the above. No, that's, well, that's not technically it. There is an Eleventh Commandment. Now, it's not official, so it's okay if you don't know it. Dwight actually got really close. There is an 11th commandment, and if we were Jewish, we would talk about an 11th commandment. It's not really in the Bible necessarily. But Jewish, Jewish writers talk about the 11th commandment. The 11th commandment, thou shall not forget. Did you know that, Christopher? Y'all are nodding your heads like you kind of, okay. Christopher knew that. Thou shall not forget. We've talked about this before. So on the front of our communion table, I did just a few weeks ago, what do we have on the front of our communion tables? Do this in remembrance of me. Why? So you don't forget. That we do things in the church, we do things in faith, so we don't forget. So the very beginning of this proverb says to us, verse one, my child, do 
not forget. My child, never forget the things that I taught you. Store my commands in your heart. Now, the thing about this verse is, I think sometimes we, we look at this and you say, you know, well, store my commands in my heart. What is he talking about? Well, the writer of, of uh, Proverbs here is talking about the Torah. And so the Torah, what's the Torah? Well, it's just a big list of rules. And really, God just made those rules so he could tell me that I do things wrong. And so God can get after me. That's the whole point of this, right? No. My child, never forget the things I have taught you. Because the commands that I have given you are things that should be at the innermost part of your life. Because the things that I have taught you is the way that life should be lived. My commands aren't something that is a list of rules for you to keep to check off whether or not you're a good person. My commands are things that shape your life and change who you are. They're there to protect you. They're there to give you life. They're there to show you in the struggles of life, in the wilderness, how to follow the path. Never forget those things that I have taught you. Store them in your heart. This morning, I'm going to go through just kind of a, a real brief outline. I think sometimes in these passages, it's, it's the best way to go through them. So the first part of our kind of brief outline would be simply that. Never, never forget. It starts with us remembering the commands, putting them into our heart. This is one of those opportunities too. If you have your Bibles, this is a great thing to underline. Go through and you can underline three times in this passage that the author uses the word heart. Store them in your heart. The next piece that we would look at is to cling. To cling to loyalty and kindness. And he says to write them deep within your heart, to tie them around your neck. That loyalty and kindness are things that you carry with you where you go. That when you move, they move with you. Tie them around your neck. The next piece of this, just kind of a brief outline, would be trust in the Lord with all your heart. And then I love, as I kind of mentioned, we have this trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And then the, the writer of Proverbs kind of comes back and circles back to us to remind us something because he knows who we are. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Because you're going to be impressed. You're going to think you have it all figured out. You're going to think that you can navigate the wilderness. You're going to go the wrong way sometimes. Don't be impressed with your wisdom. But return to God's wisdom. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And then lastly, seek his will in all you do. And he will guide you. Seek his will in all you do, and he will guide you. I started uh, reading a new book this week, and it's from an author. Some of you have read him before, Bob Goff. 
but I've really struggled this week of kind of how, how to get to the end of the sermon, which we just got there, but then how to pull it all together. And I was listening uh, this week to Bob Goff's book. His new book's called Undistracted, Capturing Your Purpose, Rediscovering Your Joy. And he tells a story in it. And I just want to read the story to you. It's not a real long story, but I want you to hear these words because I think it pulls this together. He tells about getting involved in prison ministry. And he said, the prison I visit most often is called San Quentin. It's actually an infamous place, though I'm not sure why a place of punishment should be famous. It was opened more than 160 years ago and it's housed notorious prisoners, including Charles Manson. The prisoners have called it the arena for almost 100 years. It houses all the California inmates on death row. And in 1938, a gas chamber was installed that remained in use until 1996. There are no two ways about it. The place is rough. But I have also developed friendships with the prisoners and courageous staff who have taught me a lot and have made me a better person. I've taught a class there for some time with about 150 guys in it. They come from every walk of life. Some were brilliant businessmen who made big mistakes. Others killed someone. A few didn't pay their taxes, but they all have one thing in common. They're all behind a large guarded wall and they'll be there for a long time. One day I got a call on the phone from one of the guys in my class named Kevin. Bob? I'm on the other side of the wall, he said. But he tell me there's not a bunch of bedsheets tied together hanging from a window, I was thinking. I'm out. They just released me, he said excitedly through the phone he had borrowed. Thinking this would be one of those Leonardo DiCaprio moments and anticipating an answer that would change my life, I asked him, buddy, what was your first thought when you stepped outside? Kevin paused. And then said, I realized I've got pockets. Wait, what? It was a hardly big or deep theological thing that I was expecting him to say. But the more I thought about it, I realized it was big, deep, and theological thing that he said. I said in a moment of clarity, be careful what you put in them, Kevin. We all have pockets. It's what we put in them or keep in them that become distractions, regrets, resentment, hurts, misunderstandings. They're all the things that become huge distractions. We all have pockets. Because in pockets, they help us understand what we carry with us. What are we going to take with us? What are the things in life that are worth carrying around? And I think for so many of us, we have been distracted by things that aren't worth carrying. We've been distracted by things that, that aren't, aren't who we are. They, they, they distract us from our true identity. They distract us from what God wants for us. 
What are those things that we carry around that we don't need to be carrying around? He goes on to say in that chapter, we expend so much energy trying to feel secure and hide any sense that we are afraid. We construct walls and put up our bulletproof glasses so that nothing can hurt us. Sadly, we spend our entire lives constructing a facade of security and safety when inside we're just scared people in need of a friend. Do you need the courage to admit, even now that you've been pretending to be something that you are not? Are you a prisoner needing space to get real? Have you been distracted by your need to never seem weak or afraid or vulnerable? Are you spending weird amounts of time trying to control the people around you because your life on the inside is out of control? How much energy is that taking out of you? Energy that you could pour into something bigger and more beautiful than your insecurities. John read for us earlier from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you. In this parched and weary land, there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I praised you. I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. The psalmist continues, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your strong right hand holds me securely. I think in a lot of ways where many of us are, are in the wilderness. But I made a statement earlier. It's the dangerous wilderness that, may, that moves us, moves faith into deeper transformation. The wilderness can be scary. The wilderness can feel like we don't know where we're going. The wilderness sometimes feels like we've just filled up our pockets with stuff that doesn't matter. And God says to us, seek me in all you do. Your pockets have been filled up with stuff, stuff that doesn't matter. Your your pockets have been filled up with stuff that doesn't fall into Proverbs 3. You need to be putting my life into your pockets. You need to be putting my commands into your pockets. You need to be putting loyalty and kindness around your neck. Cover yourself with these things. Because when you feel disoriented, those are the things that bring you back on the path. That bring you back out of the wilderness. This morning, my hope and my prayer 
is that for so many of us, this little statement he makes, we all have pockets, but it's what we put in them or keep in them that become distractions, regrets, resentment, hurt, misunderstandings. This morning as we close, my hope and my prayer is that for some of us, we can come. Come and empty our pockets. Come and say, there are things that I have carried around that have not brought me life. But the goal isn't just to empty our pockets. The goal is to be careful of what we put back in them. The writer of Proverbs tells us, you want to know what to put in them? Loyalty, kindness, commands, a way to live. The writer of Corinthians, Paul, would tell us, your life is what you put in your pockets. It's Christ. This morning as we close, we're going to close as we have been closing We're going to close with the opportunity to come and pray that some of you might be there and say, you know, Pastor, when you read Corinthians or you read Galatians and you read the verse, for he died for everyone, that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves, but instead they live for Christ. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to live for Christ. I don't know what that means. That this morning, if that's you, we would love to be able to talk with you. I'm going to ask Randy if he'll come up and just be here. If you want to come to this far altar, um, I know I know Randy would love to talk to you about that. That I don't know what it means to have died and to live for Christ. There are some of you that might need this morning a healing touch. Over since January, I've been coming down to this altar to anoint people for healing. And there are some of us this morning that have physical things. But I know there are also people that have things that they've carried in their pockets so long that maybe they just need to be reminded that God can heal them from those hurts, from those things that they resent. And then there's others that might just need to come and find a place at one of these two other altars to just pray. To just say, I need to come and empty out my pockets. I've been in the wilderness long enough and those things have not directed me. But I need to come and fill them with what matters. So as we sing, I just invite you, if you want to come and find a place to pray, then I invite you to come. Let us stand as we sing.